Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Agnes London podcast. This is a podcast to talk about all things sustainability and wellness. I'm your host Sophie and this week I'll be chatting to Mel Fisher from Zero Waste Goods. I hope you enjoy the episode. So thanks so much Mel for agreeing to come on my podcast and be my first guest. I am absolutely delighted to have the pleasure and um yeah, just hoping I set the bar quite high for the rest of the people to come. So thank you. I'm sure you will. Um, would you like to start off by telling us a little bit about um, your background and yourself and when you first started to think that maybe you wanted to go down like the environmental route jobs-wise? Sure. So my background, I mean, really has nothing to do with sustainability at all. I went to University at Exeter and I studied psychology and sports science. So, I mean, the psychology has some aspects, I think, mm -hmm. with kind of the trends that we're seeing these days, but there was, I didn't study sustainability. I didn't study anything to do with the environment. And from there, I, I worked for a, a short while in a corporate environment doing sales, like telesales, working in recruitment specifically, yeah. and felt so disillusioned by the whole thing I did what any sensible person would do and quit my job and went traveling for a bit. And I think it was really then, and I must have only been about 24, 25 years old, um, when I fell in love with nature mm -hmm. again, I yeah. think. I'd always grown up with it around me, but when you can choose a destination and really get to cherry pick where you go, that was kind of my first real awakening to, to how beautiful the, the world is. And when I came back, I was lucky enough to, to get a job at a really cool startup in London called Escape the City. Oh, yeah. And uh, Escape are an incredible platform, and they basically help corporate professionals do what I did and leave terrible careers, yeah. <laughs> or careers that they just feel disillusioned by and that are a bit more corporate. And uh, they help them, I guess, enter into the new world of work or start businesses. Mm -hmm. So with them, I was specifically focused on recruitment, so helping people find jobs, looking after the amazing brands in London and across the world that have these really cool opportunities. And I was exposed to, I guess, a different way for business to operate and a different way for people to, to behave and work where mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be a chore, it could be something you really enjoy. And I love doing that, and it's, it's only been a year, a year and a bit, actually, yeah, about a year. And I left in May last year, um, if not before, about April time, in fact. And um, so, yeah, it's been over a year now since I left there, but it was, yeah, it was a really good experience to have. And somehow, I guess over the course of the last year, I've made the transition into into sustainability. So it's been it's been quite the pivot, I think. If you if you look at my background on LinkedIn, it doesn't really make sense, but yeah. I've seen a lot of other people do it, and I learned a lot of really important things about how to make that transition that it didn't feel as scary mm -hmm. as I think it can do um, had I not have had that exposure. Yeah, I guess those skills that you would have had from like working in recruitment still you still probably use a lot of them now and obviously with your old job as well and now I know you're working with a lot of like small businesses and um, kind of connecting businesses to people aren't you so that's quite very similar to recruitment in a way. Yeah it is and I think it all comes down to people creating amazing things and business is just one way in which people can come together over problems and I really enjoy like you said, connecting people either to other people or to ideas or to, you know, I even studied coaching and got a coaching qualification. Mm -hmm. So I like to connect people to their own 
you know, their own purpose, their own mission and, and what drives them. So really fascinated by the whole thing. And I'm, I'm very fortunate that I can apply those skills to what I'm doing now. So do you get a lot of people saying to you like, oh, I'm really interested in sustainability or I'm really passionate about this issue or that issue, but my job that I'm doing at the moment doesn't allow with those, um, like align with those values. Like, What can I do about it? That's a really interesting question and definitely that's something which is becoming more prevalent. Not only that question initially of how do I change from this to something completely different, but how do I change from this into sustainability? And it's becoming not even an, an interest or a passion or a concern. It's, it's becoming a real global challenge that will influence everybody. So. I guess my advice to anybody who sort of seeks seeks my advice on on it on that sort of question is around I guess figuring out how you can start from where you are mm-hmm. because often if you approach me and say you know like I did I could have very easily gone and done an MBA or I could have gone and um, interned at a company that was specifically focused on sustainability and thrown my salary out the window. Yeah. I could have gone you know, and studied again, done an undergraduate degree, done an open university degree, but the best way to make a transition is to go and do the thing that you are interested in. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't know what I was curious about. I had this big idea in my head for something called the greater goods, which was going to be this platform that connected all these amazing brands around the world and it was going to have its own TV show and like a wow. broad cut like I had this huge vision for this thing that I wanted to create but I didn't I didn't I didn't go and you know join a company like that I thought okay what's the smallest version of this what's the smallest test that I can run that that will see if I can do this or even if I enjoy it and and follow that so I guess yeah to to answer your question a lot of people are looking to change into sustainability because it's the future. Yeah. That's where we have to go. It's not, it can't even just be because it's sexy or because it's going to make you more money. It's, it's the health of our planet is at stake, mm-hmm. of which we all live on. So if you're thinking about it, go and do it. <laughs> and if you're in an industry which is conflicting with those values, then really there's no space for that business in the planet on, on, you know, in these days anymore. Yeah. Um, so do you think there's, if people are in that kind of space and they're not quite ready to quit their job, do you think that maybe there are things they can do to kind of make the best of their situation? Definitely, definitely. I mean, it's, it's very romantic to think that as soon as you have this idea that you want to change, that you can just write your notice and hand it into your boss and go storming out of the office, flight, papers flying everywhere. I mean, that's a very romantic way of, of looking at it. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people don't have the, the financial buffer or even the skills to suddenly go into a new job or get hired into that space. So it does require a series of small pivots, of small steps, mm-hmm. of small, um, you know, what Escape, I guess, would, would describe as experiments to test your way into a new direction. Yeah. So, for example, if you are interested in sustainability and you're working for a media company, you might say to yourself, well, I really enjoy this part of my job. What can I do that's a project, a side project, a side hustle that can get me to explore this further? So you might think, okay, well, I'm going to start a blog on sustainability or I'm going to do what you're doing and interview people that I find interesting. Or perhaps I'm going to partner with a completely 
different charity and see if I can apply my skills to them on a voluntary basis. There's so many ways that you can involve yourself without having to have a job mm -hmm. that requires you to have 10 years experience before you go into things yeah. like this. And the more experimental you can get and the more fun you can have doing it, the better. But always start from where you are, look and see what projects you can start on your own, and then experiment, experiment, experiment. Yeah, I think that's great advice because right from a very young age, we're encouraged to pick a path and stick to it, aren't we? Um, so it can seem quite daunting to, I'm, I'm trained in this one thing, I can't, that's what I'm going to do now until I retire. It's quite, mm. you can't always see that you can deviate from that. Um, so what was the first small step or first small test you started to do? So when, when I was experimenting with new things, I didn't really know how it would all add up. And when it comes to, I guess, where I find myself now, the, the first thing that I can point to would be the Zero Waste Christmas Market that I ran mm -hmm. in London last year. Yeah. And that was quite a big event in the end. <laughs> and that was supposed to be an M like a MVP, a minimal viable product, what they call basically a small test to establish whether or not there's an appetite for it and whether or not I enjoy it. It was supposed to be small yeah. and it turned out to be quite big because yeah. there was a, it turned out to be a huge appetite for it. Yeah, so there definitely was on the day. There was on the day. I mean, you were there and you saw it and it was... Um, yeah, it was slightly crazy. <laughs> it was embarrassingly right. busy, actually. I think I learned a lot from that event. But um, my desire there, I guess, or, or even going smaller than that, when I had the idea for the Christmas market, I said to myself, if I can get five brands that I've never met before, that I've just researched and, and fit with the credentials that I'm trying to collate for this, for this market, if I can get them to say yes to paying me money mm -hmm. and to committing to a date, this was before I had a brand, this was before I had an Instagram, this was before I had a website, I just thought, okay, if I can get five people that I've never met to say yes to spending money on this event that I pitched them, it was yeah. all in, in my head at that point, then I'll run it. And within a week, I had five yeses, so I thought, Okay, Amazing. I'm gonna have to go yeah. and get go and get a venue. So the next week, I got a train into London, saw five venues in one day, and thought this is the one. Booked it there and then, put my own cash on the table, and by that point, I was committed. Mm -hmm. So um, it took ten weeks from start to finish to put together the event, which turned out to be I think we had 28 brands there, and they were all zero waste, sustainable, no plastic, and we had just under 800 people attend, but the venue was crowded, <laughs> it was quite crowded, and we had to turn a lot of people away. We had a queue out the door for people that had tickets and a queue out the door for people that didn't have tickets. Oh, so you were selling tickets on the door as well? Well, in my lack of experience running events, I thought, you know, I've capped it, I've said we've sold out. If, if you would like to come, you know, try on the door, not expecting it to be as popular as it was, yeah. and so there were a lot of people trying on the door. And it was, um, it was an incredible show of interest and commitment, not only from the brands, but also from London as a whole. And I had a lot of really good partners and people that were interested in helping. And I think I just was very lucky with the concept and also with the timing. Yeah. 
that it turned out the way that it did. But yeah, from, from there, it's kind of turned into something that I really didn't expect. And it's not the original idea I had either, which is kind of the funny thing. But you never know until you, until you try. Yeah, as a brand, from a brand's point of view, being there, it definitely showed that there was a massive appetite. And it was so reassuring at like such a like consumer time of year as Christmas is, that there were so many people coming out that were interested in zero waste, that um, they were just really excited to talk about it and excited to see the products there. So yeah, it's a great event. It did feel really, really good. And I think the thing that I took away from it as well was just that people weren't buying those gifts for themselves either. They were purchasing them for other people. And what that meant was on Christmas Day last year, we had possibly even thousands of people, not just in the UK as well. Some people flew from other countries to come to the market. No way. Wow. Yes way. I mean, that's that, crazy. That's, I mean, as long as they were coming anyway, the carbon is, is the second oh, yeah. thing. <laughs> but, um, you know, people around Europe were opening these gifts on Christmas Day. And it wasn't just a case of, here's something that I bought that's made of plastic, that's cheap. I barely thought of you. It's wrapped in, you know, God knows how many layers of unrecyclable material. Um, that's your gift. And it's turned into a conversation around, what is this that you've brought me? Okay, this is upcycled, it's recycled, it's cradle to cradle, it's zero waste, it's compostable. You know, there's a story around yeah. it. And I think that being able to inspire people to use their con you know, consumerist, I guess, power for good, that felt amazing. And to get feedback like we got, to get the turnout that we got, it just really means that London you know, from what I can see, is ready for change, really ready for change. Um, not just because there's so many new businesses popping up that are attending to this problem, this issue of sustainable fashion, sustainability in general, the plastic issue. Um, all of these problems now have loads of people working on them, and that's mm -hmm. super, super exciting. But also the public are now ready to, to join in, and, and they have power. They have more power than they think that they do. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely more power um, in individual actions than people realise. Mm. Um, so, obviously you started off with the Christmas market, um, and what have you been up to since then? What has what Zero Waste Goods grown into? Zero Waste Goods, yeah. I mean, um, gosh, we're nearly, at, well, we're nearly at Christmas this year, and fast forward to today, the brand has expanded the number of markets that it's intending to do and has done. We partnered with Old Spitalfields Market, which is a very iconic, huge open air market in the middle of London. And they approached us and said, we're looking to go zero waste. We're going on this journey and we'd love to host okay. you as a yeah. guest market there, which was fantastic. And we did that over summer and it was, we had a really good reception, not just to um, people that knew we were there, but also tourists coming through. I mean, it was really great for exposure and, and all the brands made a profit as far as I know, which was, which was really good. Um, and that was one thing that we did with Spitalfields in the summer. This year at Christmas, we're launching four Christmas markets. So expanding a little bit, but we're, we're moving into other territories as well. So we've got a two-day event in Manchester on the 29th mm -hmm. and 30th of November. And in London, we've got two events. One is a late night shopping event on at Spitalfields on a Wednesday, 
followed by our big main event on Saturday in London at Oval Space, which will be like our sort of flagship zero waste Christmas market. And then the following weekend we'll be in Brighton. So that's a huge chunk of work and is taking up all of my time from here moving on. And on the side of that, I've also been working with um, all of the founders from the companies that came to the market, as well as a few more that have sort of joined, joined in the conversation over the last couple of months. And we run semi-regular meetups and workshops designed to help take them to the next level, because what I'd love to see is for them to become mainstream, for people not to always email me on Facebook saying, where do I get replacements to this? Where do I get replacements to that? You know, I want that to be phased out completely. And for these brands to be the ones that people go to, that would just be, that would just be amazing. Um, so that's kind of something which is evolving. And we've got a Facebook group and we do these meetups and, and that's something that I feel really, really good about. And I've met such amazing businesses um, so we're kind of focused on providing these events, these markets, and also growing our community of zero waste sustainable brands across the country and also abroad. We, um, we had our first international community member. She lives in Kenya. Um, and it's amazing that they're creating this recycling app over there. And I've, it just blows my mind. So there are, you know, that's what's comforting is there's a lot of people wanting to, wanting to work on these problems. Um, so those are kind of two things that Zero Waste Goods have been working on. And another project I've been working on is the Plastic Hackathons, which is a concept that was created by somebody that I met through the market. Mm -hmm. I invited a speaker to come. His name is Drupurua, and he is an amazing person. He's just got so much energy and so much passion, and he's been raising awareness about the plastic issue for a good number of years now having cycled up and down the Thames on a bike, like actually on the river, picking up plastic and basically talking as loudly as he can about the issue, even before it became a mainstream thing. Yeah. Um, and he's moved into action, like we all are right now, mm -hmm. moving towards, let's stop. We, we know the problem, let's, let's get into action. And he designed this full-day hackathon, which was bringing together business leaders, behavioral scientists, teachers, young people, you know, people from big brands that you might recognize, you know, your Unilever, Lush, that sort of thing, um, and putting them together into a room and having them hack the plastic problems. They'd all pick a challenge and work to, at the end of the day, pitch a business idea to, to solve that particular challenge, whether it's takeaway boxes or if it's beauty, and that's been amazing. We've, I've run two with him, one which was kind of more designed around corporates and global challenges, and the other was focused on students, so going into schools and helping young people really engage with the issue. And that's something that I'm looking forward to, to working more on moving forward, but that's sort of on, on the side. But, mm -hmm. I mean, even a year ago today, I wouldn't, dream, I wouldn't have even dreamed I would be where I am now. I really, it's, looking back on it, it's been an, an absolute journey but you know it's it's something that you just really can't predict until you start yeah and that's the beauty of doing it like either as a small company or one person you can be really adaptable to opportunities that come your way mm -hmm. and not just stuck to your five-year plan or whatever yeah definitely there's beauty and serendipity I think and you know all the plans that we can make are going to be changed because of climate change, mm -hmm. changed because of 
the need for new political systems changed because the world leaders that we have today aren't leading from a place of peace. They're, they're, they feel like wartime leaders. Yeah. You know, they, they're not leading from a place of community and collaboration. They're, they're from leading from an, a nationalist sort of pride <laughs> and economic prioritization. So all of our plans are going to change. And I think the more adaptable you can become and the more you can let go of your nine to five, I'm going to retire when I'm 60, because you won't have a world to retire into. You know, get involved, volunteer your time, donate to frontline causes, spend your money with brands that are really trying. There's loads of workshops out there that you can join if you want to learn how to upcycle your own things. There's so many ways that you can get involved without having to hand in your notice. You know, that's not an excuse not to start, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, how did you get into your business? Um, very similar. I was just feeling a bit... Well, I started learning about plastic pollution and um, was really thinking, like, what can I do about it? Um, and then that's where the bags came along. And a lot of it was um, me using it as a bit of a creative outlet. Um, and also, I as so I would like make something that I thought I needed, like a grocery bag to take to the shops to buy mushrooms or whatever. And then the more I kind of swaps I made in my flat and my lifestyle, um, the more products that came from that because... Um, I'd just look and think, oh, yeah, I can make that. And then I figured if I needed it or could have a use for it, then other people could too. And um, then that kind of led me to, so obviously I started the brand and that led me to, that gave me a platform to share what I was learning and to share lifestyle tips with other people. Um, and I still can't really believe that people come up to me for like shampoo bar recommendations and things like that. But it's amazing. It's you know, and I'm sure you find this too with your friends and family. You look around and you see like the swaps people have made, and you think, "Wow, like it's working." Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's just from like casual conversations mm. and like going home and showing off your bamboo toothbrush and things like that. It's true. So. It's really true. I think that's such an important point because often it feels so heavy, and it's easy to feel lethargic because of the weight of the issue. Yes. But really, small changes do add up because. It's not really about the toothbrush. No. It's not about the shampoo bar. It's about you thinking, hmm, I'm contributing negatively and I'm not okay with that. And then making changes because if somebody is going to go out of their way to wash their hair with a shampoo bar, which we all know can be very hit and miss depending on which brand you get, <laughs> hence <be>. the recommendations. <laughs> it's either oily or, you know, you've got to get the right brand. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not a, if they're going to go to that length, to that level to, to change their experience, they, they then are going to go on to vote. They're going to teach their children differently. They're going to, you know, change their career. These are all inflection points. And I think the more people that are buying from you and coming to you for recommendations, there's a really strong indication of there's a community of people that want to do more. And if you tell that person, educate yourself, here's what I believe, this is the research I've done, go out and vote, you know. I, I never used to vote or, like, pay any attention to any of that stuff, really. I just used to think it was someone else's problem mm -hmm. until I realized it wasn't, and it was my problem, and I was contributing. 
And I was not okay with it. And it's completely changed the way I view things. And now I'm emailing my MPs. I'm like going to meetings to like lobby against um, the Heathrow expansion. I go to the Extinction Rebellion and mm -hmm. my family, bless them. They've been very supportive. I've been very surprised. And, and like you, um, Christmas was a completely different experience this year simply because they they'd gone to my Christmas market. They'd all been enlisted to help. Yeah. And now my family has gone from being your traditional gluttonous Christmas family, which I used to love. Like, this is part of the reason why I chose Christmas, because I yeah. love Christmas, but not okay with the waste. You know, we went from that to there is no wrapping paper in our house hardly anymore. Amazing. We just have paper tape, we have string, and we have recycled paper. And everyone judges everyone else on the cards that they buy. They're like, is that one recycled? And they, I've said no to glitter. And they're, they're all on board with it. I mean, it's really been it. My dad, you know, and he's of the generation that people often say they ruined it. Yeah. They are at fault, you know. And even the people in that particular demographic put their hands up and say, you know, I want to look my grandchildren in the eye because I ruined it for them. And I think that's not that helpful. Um, we're all to blame. Every yeah. single one of us is to blame for, for the way that we've allowed this to carry on. But they can change. And like my father changing his habits, my mother changing her habits. She's even buying, you know, new products for her detergent. She had soap nuts. Wow. Soap nuts. I went home and she's just dangling this bag of soap nuts in my face. Like, I haven't even bought <laughs> no, soap nuts. No, I haven't nuts. even tried this. <laughs> and there's my, my mum was doing that. And I was so proud of her. Yeah, that's and amazing. It's, yeah, I mean, it really does make, make it make an effect. And they will maybe vote differently in the future. And that's kind of what I'm hoping for. Because on a systemic level, if we really want to save the planet, we need to have policy changes desperately. And in order to do that, we need to put pressure on the government and say, we will not vote for you unless you stick to your agenda. No more lies, no more inaction. We've really, we've really got to pull, pull our fingers out, to be perfectly frank. Yeah. <laughs> can I definitely. say that? Yes, you <laughs> can. Um, yeah, I think part of um, what you're doing, um, building a community around this is so great because, um, you know, with the future that we are facing with climate change, um, community is gonna be so important. And obviously, um, both of us are based in London, which is sometimes quite a hard city to find a community in and to find like-minded people. So it's so fantastic that you're doing these events and um, the founders meetings as well. To like, so you know that you're not the only person out there that's having these thoughts and trying to make these changes. Mm, that's really kind of you to say so. And I mean, London can feel very lonely as a city if you're new here or if you're quit your job and you're now working from a co-working space like that's a really scary journey to be on especially when faced with the magnitude of the problem a new culture of business is arising though and it's of collaboration it's learning because there's so much room for everyone there's no need for competition and i would rather see a world where all the resources are shared they're managed properly so it has created a abundance rather than destroyed everything mm -hmm. and to do that we need a, a platform and a space to have that conversation i don't know the way you don't know the way no one knows the way we haven't got it right yet yeah. so the more places we have to experiment and to have these conversations what are you struggling with what are you finding easy what's worked for you you know who is your audience to be able to answer those and feel happy that 
your nothing's at stake except the planet, and and that's the that's the the one unifying thing that we all have. It doesn't matter if you're poor or rich. It doesn't matter where you live. Everyone will be affected by this. Mm-hmm. So to have space, to have community in London and globally, anywhere you can find it, where people put that at the front and center and say, regardless of our differences, regardless of the fact that our businesses might be quote unquote competitive, yeah. we're still going to work together in this. Um, so I'm really happy that you said that, and I'm glad you're coming to the next one, <laughs> which is after this. <laughs> yes, I'm looking forward to this. Um, so what tips do you have for consumers when they know that they don't want to keep shopping when they're shopping, um, but the brands they want to buy from aren't out there, then they're not one click away, they're not on the high street. What tips do you have for them um, to find more kind of conscious products? Mm-hmm. It's a really good question. And I feel like there's a, there's a lot in that one question. I mean, my tip for finding those brands is spending time on Instagram, actually, which might not be the answer you expect because that's where I found all of the brands that I invited to the Christmas market. And all of the brands that I work with go through, you know, more than average series of questions around where's your supply chain? Like, can you prove that it's environmentally regulated? If they're dyeing clothing, it's what is the dye made of? How is the runoff managed? How, if you're mining something, you know, where, can you tell me exactly where that's come from? And, and, and um, all of the brands that I've worked with have said, you know, I'm happy to give you that information. And if they're still working on it, they're still working on it. Yeah. So if you go on Instagram and you start searching hashtags like zero waste brand or zero waste London or sustainable brand, sustainable living, sustainable trainers. If there's a specific um, product that you're looking for, try, try searching for it on Instagram and oftentimes you'll find these, these brands pop up. And as soon as you follow them, you see that sort of drop down of other options to follow and that's kind of where I go to, to find new, new brands. Um, my website also has a green directory, so all of the brands that I work with are slowly being added onto the directory so you can see, okay, fashion and food or beauty or personal care and that sort of thing. But the easiest way to go about actually transitioning is to do it one room at a time, yeah. one section at a time, because to go from you know someone that eats meat and flies a lot, let's say, to a vegan that only walks that that's a huge that's that's a a huge jump and you're right like society hasn't caught up yet and the whole world is based around convenience and if it's not convenient it's not going to be easy if you book yourself into a gym that's half an hour away you're not going to go but if it's right next to your house or right next to your work you pass it on the way home you're going to go so if you start with something that you, you come up with every day, you, you come against every day, like if it's um, like a soap or something, or if it's your cutlery that you have to get during work, if it's plastic, figure out what's really irritating you and start there and find a, find a solution for that. The zero waste movement is really good with your reusables. So a brand like Agnes London, for example, your brand, if you wanted to get cutlery bags, grocery bags, your staples, dead easy. And then you, you also don't need to repurchase all the time, which is kind of brilliant. Yeah. Um, 
and your sort of zero waste shampoo bars. I mean, even the high street does have some of those. For example, Lush actually do quite a lot of good stuff. They have all recycled plastic in all of their um, tubs and things, and you can send them back and get a free one. They also do specific product lines that raise awareness. Like last year, they had um, a series of soaps shaped like orangutans. I don't know if you saw those. They were like bright orange, yeah, little orangutan ones. Yeah, the turtle bath bombs. Turtle bath bombs, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's a really fun way to get people to engage with things, and if they donate money to that cause, I think that's really good. So... The high street does have some solutions, but it, it does take a little bit more work. And there are brands like Greener Habits and Akala, which have bigger selections of things. And I, I shop at both of those stores. Um, and there's probably one or two other bigger websites that I could leave with you afterwards yeah, for you I to share with everyone. Link I everything on the top of my notes. head. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> love that, show notes. Um, yeah, so I think if you if you start with something that really bugs you, that you see every day, get rid of that. Use what you have is the other thing. And, and use Instagram because it's quite a fun way of exploring new brands. And if you see a brand you like, reach out to them and say, hey, I'm really looking for this product. Who do you know? Like you with the brand recommendations. You, you, yeah. I'm more likely to know a soap brand or you know, trainers or whatever you mm -hmm. might be interested in. So do, do reach out to people because you'll be yeah. surprised. And if you reach out to a brand that is trying to be in the sustainability space and you have any questions for them, they will hopefully want to answer them for you yeah, about definitely. Like sourcing or where they manufacture and things like that. I'm yeah. sure if they have the answers, they would be happy to tell them. It's so surprising. And because they're a smaller business, their supply chain is much easier to track. So even, you know, we all know that however many of the world's products are actually owned by eight companies, it's very hard for them to track exactly down to which palm oil plantation their, their product is coming from. Uh, but with a small business like yours, you know exactly where you're getting your cotton from, if it's organic, if it's organic, is it irrigated by rainwater, or do you actually use loads of water um, in the production of that? And if yes, like what are the steps being done to reduce that? My, you know, I'm looking for circular brands, ideally. Yeah. But like you said, it, not everyone is there yet. No. Zero waste is like the step before that. Whereas what we want and what we need is a circular economy. Yeah. Um, and if you're interested in the circular economy, a great book to read is called Donut Economics. Have you ever read that book? No, I haven't even heard of that. It's amazing. It's Kate Raworth. Yeah, really, really good book. It kind of teaches you all about how we ended up in this mess <laughs> from an economic standpoint because we can't just switch off the machine, unfortunately. No, we can't. No. It's, you know, a question I get asked a lot is, do you, do you find it ironic that the work that you're doing, or at least this is how I interpret the question, I'm sure it's not worded this way. Is it ironic that your business is teaching people to buy more stuff when buying stuff got us into this mess in the first place? Yeah, but you're teaching people to buy better. The chances are people are still gonna go out and buy that stuff. Because mm. at the end of the day, if your trainers are falling apart and you do need a new pair, then obviously you can go to charity shops and you can go to things like that, or you could look for a sustainable footwear company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's what I think. But <laughs> and uh, it's just the way things need to be. And just shy of dismantling capitalism, we've you know we've got to work with something. Yeah. And that's that's a harder thing to do. Not saying that it doesn't need to be done in some fashion. It probably does, but 
it's a way of applying value to the planet through products rather than putting the planet at risk because of products, if you see what I mean. I think there's a, there's a unique distinction there, but um, it is important that people do the research and find these brands, and hopefully with work like mine and work like yours, they will become mainstream. That's the idea, is it will be easy. And I even hope all of the high street brands get on board. It would be so much easier if you could walk into a restaurant and it didn't have to say certified organic because everything was organic. Yeah or you knew that there wasn't going to be a bin out the back full of plastic and rotting food because they'd made too much. Like, let's dream about a world that could be amazing and start from there and work yeah. backwards. Yeah. Um, you should add a book swap to your founders' events. Book swap, yeah. yeah. I thought about doing a, like a book club or something where you like read a book a month and then yeah. people come in and discuss it. And even doing some really, really wild books about I don't know there probably isn't this book but like capitalism is the best you know just so you get a bit of a difference in yeah. opinion but uh, yeah I will, I'll add that I'll add that maybe donut economics should be the first one yeah maybe it's a good idea <laughs> um, so we've probably possibly already covered this question um, in some of your other answers but you've um, worked with a lot of founders of um, businesses now and this question is kind of going to be two-parted um, so what tips do you have for people that um, want to start their own, want to become an eco-entrepreneur or want to start a business in the sustainability space? And um, my next part of the question was going to be, do you ever turn businesses away that, you don't, that don't meet your criteria? Mm. Or do you send them away to do some work and come back to you, mm. maybe? I'll start with that question first. Partly because I've forgotten what the other one was. <laughs> so you have to remember that one. It's a long but, question. <laughs> um, I know it's about startups. So my, where I see the brand, my brand going in the future is I have developed a zero waste certificate, which is a process wherein you self-assess where you are on, I think there's five or six different criteria from green operations to supply chain to waste management to product design to, you know, and this sort of gives you an overall circular score. And if you reach the minimum standards, then you're in. You can trade at the markets, you can join the founders group. And if you don't meet the minimum standards, then we help you reach those standards and you kind of go away and have a bit of work to do. Um, I, as of yet, have turned businesses away because they've not quite met the sustainability criteria or because they just have not, a lot of ethical brands have a sustainable element, but don't prioritize the environment first and foremost. They might be more focused on fair trade or they might be focused on helping people out of poverty in other places. So whilst it's all still good work, the yeah. environment takes the second, uh, the second place. Mm -hmm. So businesses that have an, an environmental core that really work from that space of how can I make the planet better? How can I ensure my product isn't damaging in any way? they tend to have additional policies for we give back to the planet or we give back to people and we make sure we're all fair trade and environmentally friendly. So those are the brands that I really, really want to work with. They're the ones that have the environment first. Not to say that everyone else isn't doing an amazing job, but this is just about the community that I'm running and they have to be sustainable, they have to be zero waste. And more importantly, they have to be on that journey. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of brands that use bioplastic for example, and I don't agree with bioplastic at all, 
except in specific circumstances. Mm -hmm. I think at curbside, unless you're working with a very specific brand, of which I'm, I couldn't even tell you who, who it was, but bioplastic doesn't decompose on, at curbside. And that's a crime, really, because you're then throwing something into landfill because it will get sorted out of your recycling and put into landfill um, simply because you need a specialist system um, and it doesn't quite biodegrade in the same time frame as food, which is kind of the minimum requirement to go into curbside compost. Yeah. Um, and I've had a lot of backwards and forwards with those sorts of brands because they're on the way, but their solution isn't sustainable, really. And we've, we've had a few sticking points with brands like that, and I never really know what to say. Um, but we have to meet somewhere. And I think if they are making steps to change and they can prove that they're doing that, and they are building awareness around the bioplastic as an issue, then that's I'd rather they be in and working towards that goal than out and, and kind of not focusing on it as a, as a way of improving things. Um, but I would love to have it where the certification is something people desire to have because from a consumer perspective, you know that we've done the due diligence and the research and we've yeah. looked at your supply chain. We've got all of the certificates from, from you and we've encouraged you to look deeper into different areas um, and do, do better because all brands, I think, want to really do better. I mean, the B Corp movement is a really good example of business as a force for good. And I'd love for there to be like a zero waste version of that, mm -hmm. where if you buy from a zero waste brand, you know that everything from the way their product was designed all the way through to how they manage their own compost bins. You know, if you knew that that was completely circular, that would be that would be amazing. So until that's kind of fully released, I am being a little bit more lenient. Yeah. But once that's out and that becomes part of the process, then it'll be much less about me deciding and much more about the process itself which would feel better i think for me because it's hard <laughs> it's hard yeah. to say no yeah i'm sure it is especially when you can see that they're probably doing so many other amazing things doing good stuff exactly yeah. um but no i think that'd be really great and also great for consumers as well because um as like you said before like convenience is a massive thing and people don't have a lot of time on their hands so if they can just look and see the certification and say, okay, I know that this brand at least meets these requirements. Let me see what they've got. Let me, see, you know, let mm. me let mm. me support them. Yeah. Would you take it? Will you do it? Oh, definitely. Great. <laughs> cool. Let's 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 do that because yeah, I mean, I'd love your feedback on it. I've been working on it for quite a while. Um, but yeah, that should be one thing which sort of helps establish the brand a bit more and is helpful for on both sides. Yeah. Um, so that's something that that is is in is in progress amazing well can't wait to see where that goes cool um so going back to um tips for eco entrepreneurs so is this someone that has is still working their current job or is just curious about how to start a business or is it more you know what does it take to run a sustainable business um let, shall i rephrase what do you find is a sticking point for most eco-entrepreneurs and what what advice do you give them obviously like starting with small tests and small steps is um really good advice so say someone's in the situation where they feel like they're ready to leave the job um they've maybe done a small test and it's gone well mm. what where should they go from there mm. interesting i think there's there's two really big sticking points for any young business, whether or not they're sustainably orientated or, or otherwise. 
The first is thinking that you have a good product when you don't. <laughs> it's very easy to do customer validation on your friends and your family and your Facebook pals and thinking that I've got this amazing business idea and it's actually terrible <laughs> um, or just not fit for, for purpose because you might get really good signals from these, these people but they might not actually be your target customer. So number one is know, know your audience and really get clear who are you serving and who are you not serving and be prepared to just say no to those people. Like with the ethical brands, great, love it, amazing, but what I do isn't for them. Yeah. Um, so knowing your audience, there's a, there's a good book called The Mum Test or I think it's Mom Test, M-O-M, I think it's written by an American <laughs> author. Um, and that's a really good book for helping. It's, it's quite thin, easy to get through, really engaging, and it's a good way just to sense check, okay, have I been checking my business idea against people that will like it because they like me? Yeah. And that's all about, will, will this person put money down? Mm -hmm. So I think the sooner you can get people to pay for your product, whether it's on a Kickstarter, whether it's on a crowdfunding campaign, whether it's you know just giving you a ten pound for for whatever, that's that's a really good indication that your product is a good one and it's and it's going to go somewhere. Um, and that kind of leads me on to my second point, which is financing. Especially if you're getting ready to leave your job, you need to know not only what are your personal finances like, but how much is your product actually worth in the market. So when I was originally reaching out to these brands saying, "Are you going to come to my Christmas market?" They said, "Oh well, how much is it?" And I completely pulled a finger out, you know, I, I pulled a figure out of the air. I didn't know, I, did, I had no idea what was reasonable. Yeah. And I said something like, it was either 250 or 350 pounds. And this was for one day, bear in mind, from like, at the time it was 10 till 8 or whatever. And these times everything changed. And yeah. the first three people came back and said, you're mental. <laughs> because <laughs> I paid that much for like a two or three day festival. Yeah. But... It was great feedback because as soon as I asked for the money, they didn't say no, they just said it's too much. Mm -hmm. And then I said, okay, well, how does this sound? Having renegotiated, and they said I would definitely go for that. And as soon as you get money on the table, that's when you can start to say, okay, well, what's my pricing like? Do I have traction in the market? What's the market size of, of the you know, consumer base that I'm looking to target? And will that be enough to, to, to cover my living expenses? And then it's a question of what do you want to earn? You know, I think the final thing is go, go big if you're going to go for it because this is your life mm -hmm. and this is your opportunity to make a real difference. Business is painfully hard but also brilliant fun. And it's really a one-of-a-kind journey and I would honestly wish it for everyone if they, if they felt like they had something they really wanted to bring into the world. Amazing. Um... So where can people find Zero Waste Goods? How can they get involved? Good questions. Plug away. Yeah, I know, <laughs> plug, this is the section. Turn off now. Um, what I'd love to see as many people as possible at the Christmas markets. They are all on my website on a little tab called Markets. All of the Christmas markets are listed on there. And it's www.zerowastegoods.com. So goods plural, has an S on the end. And that's the same for my handles. So on Instagram, Instagram I'm at Zero Waste Goods. On Twitter, it's the same. I also have the same on, on Facebook. So I'm across all of the channels. I'm most active on Instagram and Facebook. So I mm -hmm. recommend getting in touch with me there. My email address is mel at zero waste goods 
and if you wanted to talk about a collaboration perhaps or get involved in showcasing at the market again I'd be delighted to hear also always looking for volunteers if they want to work a half day at the market in return for free entry so yeah there's lots going on I'm really excited if you're a founder of a business get in touch because obviously the community is really fun and we interview people that are experts in their field so for example tonight we've got um, Ollie from Futera which is a change agency I guess you could call them um, and he's coming to talk to us about brand strategy and how to make most of Zero Waste Week next week, which is really, really exciting because I have not got a plan yet. <laughs> so, um, yeah, if you want to get involved in, in any of these activities, just reach out on my website or email me and I'd be delighted to chat. So if a founder wants to join your eco-founders club, they just drop you an email? Drop me an email. There's also an application online because, again, I, I don't accept everyone. Ideally, I'm looking for early-stage founders, pre- or post-funding. You know, you can have a team or it can be just you on your own and uh, somebody that's, that's looking to create meaningful change and has a zero-waste or sustainable brand with that kind of being, being their focus. And there'll be a bit of backwards and forwards from me as to whether or not they're a fit, but mm -hmm. I would love any and all applications from anyone, whether you're a service, an app, tech, products, whatever, keen to hear. Amazing, thank you. Well, thank so you. to end on a positive note, the question I said I was gonna ask you, um, what have, obviously we've, um, it'll probably, this podcast probably won't go out for a couple of weeks, but we've had a bit of a tough week in the media in terms of environmental news. It's been quite sad and quite upsetting. Mm. Um, so I wanted to ask you if you've seen anything recently or read anything recently that's made you feel positive about the future, or it could just be stuff that you're doing with zero waste goods, you know, mm. makes you feel mm. positive. <laughs> like we Where's, the <laughs> yes. Where's the hope? Where's the hope? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, t to speak to your first point, the news has been awful with the fires that are raging not only in the Amazon, which has had most of the attention, but in Africa and the Arctic as well. The planet is feeling like it's actually on fire, which is terrifying. Um, but I guess what gives me hope is that so many people are now aware of this mm -hmm. and so many people are outraged. Like, I want to see more of the rage because the more people that feel angry about this and feel a sense of injustice, I think the faster things will change because even from not having heard about it in three weeks to in three days, everyone was putting pressure on all these governments across the G7 and they committed to a you know 18 million pound, I guess, pledge to helping mm -hmm. the Amazon which is an amazing show of support. I think it's not quite enough <laughs> money, and Bolsonaro did reject it, in fact, because that's another story. But it just goes to show, like, social media does have a place in the world, and I think that the number of people rallying around causes like this and feel um, feel enraged is, is kind of strangely positive. Um, and just one shout-out to um, Hannah Pumphrey, who runs Akala. She donated a 50p for every like that she got on one of her posts, and I think raised nearly... I think she has to count it yet, but she was... You know, her target was about £500, which is not insignificant. Yeah. And I think more brands that have traction and have a community and are able to say pledge, donate, get angry, email, get on the streets and start 
you know, join us. I think that that really does make me feel like we can do this because there are always two sides to every story. And with any story, you also have to hit rock bottom. Yeah. You know, the protagonist has to go into the woods, they have to go into the darkness, and they have to reach the point where they feel they can't go on in order for it to be an inspiring story. And we have reached that point. This, that point is now. We're in the bottom. We're in, we're in the dark. And it can feel very painful and like there's no way out. But I think, you know, in any of these stories, there is help. And help comes from businesses like yours doing things differently, from people who travel to go to a Christmas market because they want to stop spending their money on plastic crap. Yeah. Um, it comes from governments saying, we're going to pledge you this money, and from international pressure on, on world leaders to say, this is our world too, it's, it's not yours. The political divides that we have should be dissolved and the resources of the planet need to transcend those boundaries. They really do, and I think the more people that we have discussing it, talking about it, feeling their emotions, whether it's grief or rage or joy or whatever, you know, I think, I think the better. I don't really have an inspiring story <laughs> other than that because it's been very hard to think of anything else, but, you know, eyeballs are on this, and, yeah. and that's, that's, that's positive enough. Definitely, I think um, there's been definitely been things this year that have shown that individuals can make a change. Mm. And yeah, the more people get on board and join in, the louder the voices. Louder the voices, the voice. Yeah, it needs to be loud. Yeah. And it's it's going to be painful. We have to change. Like this, ha we can't go on the way we are, and that's okay. But it's because no one is painting a good picture of what that could look like. That's why it's scary because we feel like we're going to lose something. We're going to lose our freedom, our privilege, our access to anything we want at the push of a button. Yeah. But I, I think if we were able to paint a society where the environment came first and everyone benefited from that, that would be something people would, would follow. Um, so I think you know, the more brands like ours that are trying to do that in whatever way they can, paint a picture of a waste-free Christmas or you know, waste-free lifestyle is the better, really. Amazing. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, thank you so much. I've really, really enjoyed it. <laughs> well, I hope I haven't gone on too much, but no, this has been really fun. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, I'd be so grateful if you'd go ahead and share it or leave a review to help other people find my podcast. You can also find out more about Agnes London at agneslondon.com or on social media at Agnes London. Thank you and see you next week.